Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome back, friends. Have we got a show for you today? Have you ever felt like you were white knuckling it through some part of your life, hanging on for dear life with no clear direction, not knowing how you were going to get from point A to point B? I feel you. We have too. And today's guest is here to break down for us why it's so important to let go of the very things we strive to exert the most control over. Molly Stillman has been blogging since college. What started as a fun way to bring joy to people through her satirical writing has over the years morphed into a wildly successful ethical fashion and lifestyle blog. Her mission is to inspire women to walk joyfully and confidently in purpose and to know that you were created with a purpose for a purpose. In addition to her blog, Molly owns and runs a farm and is authoring her first book, which she gave us some insights into today. It's a memoir and it is hitting shelves next year. Today's discussion touches on everything from the power of integrity to the need to let our children make mistakes. We discuss the influence of Molly's famous mother, a nurse in the Vietnam War. We touch on culture's role in building our identity and why that's problematic. The importance of identifying your gifts and using them to serve others and so much more. We loved sitting down with Molly and enjoyed this conversation with her so much. If you need a little inspiration and love in your life right now, this episode is for you. Enjoy. Molly, we're so happy you're here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, you're so welcome. It's, it's, I've been, we've been watching you on your social channels. And I have to say that some of them, I laugh out loud. You're, you're very funny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I did uh, used to be a comedian. So hopefully we're going to learn all about that. We're going <laughs> to learn all about, we want to hear it. We want to hear all the things, but first we have to get to know you a little bit. So will you please fill in the blank? Motherhood is revealing. <sighs> wow. That's a great one. Okay. It, it reveals the best and the worst parts of you. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. all the things you need to work on, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you're like, wait, I thought I was patient. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think I was the angry person or a yeller. Right. I, I wasn't until, until it's... I had toddlers. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh, just wait until they get a little older. I had and then an you're argument like, about shoes. Oh, putting it's those never shoes ending. on until they say the the phrase. It's not fair. Oh yeah. Fair? Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. I get that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a great word. I love it. What do you value most in a friendship? Integrity. Integrity. Yeah. Absolutely. Will you elaborate just a little? Yeah. I um, obviously like super high up there as well as like people who can make me laugh. Um, but just over the years, uh, the friendships that have had the lasting power and the staying power, uh, my friends have integrity. Um, and I had, and, and that's just to be totally honest is that I've had some friendships over the years that have ended because that person didn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I realized that maybe that's like, Ooh, this went to a dark place quickly. Um, but there's integrity is really important to me just in, in any person in my life. Um, whether you're my colleague or my boss or my husband or a friend, um, it's something that I instill in my children is if you grow up without integrity, um, then I've failed as a parent. Um, I don't care if you're the smartest in the class or the most athletically successful, but if you are a 25 year old jerk with no integrity, then I 
failed. I messed up. Um, and so I, that's just something I really value in my friends is I know that when they're telling me the truth they're telling me the truth, they're willing to have the hard conversations and, um, you know, they're willing to call me out when I need to be called out and I can call them, them out when they need to be called out. You know what I mean? And we can have those, those conversations, um, in a loving way. Um, and then of course also to have fun and be encouragers of one another. That's the first time we've ever gotten that word. And it is a wonderful, amazing word that just speaks volumes. That's very true. Very, very true. I loved it. What's the most daring thing you've ever done? Um, it, I'm doing it right now. I'm writing a book <gasps> and yeah. And so I, uh, but it's been something that I have wanted to do for a long time. And I actually started on my book proposal in the summer of 2017. Wow. And so it's been five years. I finished my book proposal last fall. I got a literary agent last fall and then, um, you know, kind of worked over the winter to refine it and just make it as make it shine. And then, um, yeah, I got a book deal this past spring. And so I'm right now, like in the throes of, uh, in the thick of writing and it is by far one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Are you able to elaborate a little bit on it? Like what it's about? Yes. So it is a memoir. Um, and so I think that that's part of what makes it so terrifying. And I've had so many conversations with friends who have just really been trying to encourage me through this process because all of a sudden it has hit me that this is real. Like (laughs) this is, there's no going back now. (laughs) I've I've signed a contract. I've gotten part of the advance. Like it's I'm stuck. Like, I can't say no now at this point. Um, but when you, I mean, memoir is my favorite genre to read. I have always loved memoirs. I've always loved just kind of, maybe I'm nosy. <laughs> I just like to know people's <laughs> stories and their lives. Yeah. And maybe that's why I also host a podcast as well. Is because like, I like, I'm nosy and I just want to ask people questions. Um, but when it's you and then you're putting your life and your story on a page that can't be deleted. It can't be edited. It's like, I mean, it can, but once it's printed, it's there, it's, it ain't going anywhere. And so I think once, once I really grasped that all of a sudden I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, <laughs> people are going to read this stuff about me that up until I published this book, very few people know the whole story of things that have happened in my life. And, um, you open yourself up to a, just a different level of criticism and a different level of people maybe judging you, or, I mean, that's not that my prayer is that doesn't happen, but I know it will. Um, my prayer is that instead people feel less alone, um, that somebody somewhere can connect, uh, with my experiences, um, So yeah, that's, I mean, that's all I can kind of say right now. It does have a working title, but I'm not going to say what it is because there's a strong chance it can change. And so I don't want anybody to like, I've learned a lot about the publishing process is like a lot of stuff is written in pencil and not a permanent marker until you go to print. Um, But yeah, but you know, ultimately my goal is that people walk away from the book, laughing, crying, laughing till they cry and, um, finding, uh, the, what the source of true joy is. So that's kind of the, the, the gist. I can't wait to read it. Do you have a release date? Do you have it? No. So my manuscript is due in January. So I have basically a little less than six months to complete the manuscript. I have like a personal goal to finish the manuscript before Christmas. Cause I don't really want that like looming over my head. It's not uh, like Chrissy. <laughs> she always likes to get things done beforehand. Yeah. I can't, uh, I don't know. I do work well under pressure, but with something like this, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to be wanting to sit on Christmas morning and be like, I should probably be writing right now. Like that. Would oh, so miserable. true. So, um, so it's due in January. I'm going to try to turn it in early. And then from there it can release anywhere from like, nine to 18 months after your manuscript is due. So it really all depends. I love how you said you're nosy. And I was like, (laughs) I like to call myself curious. Curious. Yeah. Yeah. Curious individual. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like you. I love to ask questions, find out people's stories, get into 
what's made them them. And then I'm like, do they think I'm judging them? No. So yeah, yeah. all is how in how you ask the question that is like, whether it's coming from a place of judgment or a place of curiosity. Absolutely. Well, I'm really interested to hear your um, answer to this particular question because you are writing a memoir. What advice would you give your younger self? Who let me tell you that I've thought about a lot about this. And honestly, this is something that I have struggled. I've wrestled with um, a lot. Um, so I am, uh, as of when we're recording this, I turn 37 next week. And so I've thought a lot about some of the mistakes and the things that I, the choices that I made in my early twenties. And there are so, I have ad nauseum spent time with myself mulling in my regrets. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But I have, I think I've gotten to a point where I am at peace with those choices that I made because had I made different choices, yes, certain things would have absolutely turned out better, but I don't believe that I would be where I am now Mm -hmm. had I made different choices then. And I love where I am right now. And because of those poor choices I made at that time, um, I was able to learn from those mistakes and I've been able to share with other people, you know, the hope and the, the possibility that's on the other side of the the pit. And so to answer your question, uh, what advice would I give my younger self? I would just say, just keep going, just stick in the muck, stay in the muck. It sucks. (laughs) The muck is the worst, but it is so worth it on the other side when you learn to, to stick through it and to keep going. Oh my gosh. Just keep on with your sloppy self, right? (laughs) Just keep trudging along. Yep. Yeah. Because honestly, like there's, I could sit here and I could wax poetic about all the things I would tell my 19 year old, 20 year old self. But the the reality is, is I had to make those, we have to make those mistakes. And that's really hard. Cause I think about that a lot as a parent. And I think about good gracious. I really hope my children don't make the same mistakes that I do, but I have to get to the point where I am at peace with the fact that my children are going to make mistakes and they are going to screw up and I have to be there to support them through it, but to not get them out of it, that they have to get out of it themselves. Um, and that's really, really hard. And my dad, so hard. my dad, let me be in it. I was in it. <laughs> you know what I mean, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. I mean, granted, he didn't actually, I think know how mucky my situation is, if that makes sense, but alas, it's definitely through the muck that you grow. And as a parent, it's so hard to let your children go through that. And I think, especially for this generation of parents, I I feel like there's a shift in in parenting. So I feel like for this generation, it's, it's harder to let our kids sit in it, but we do, we grow, we grow in the muck, we grow in the challenges. So I, I agree with you on that. Absolutely. You, first of all, happy early birthday. And second, you're welcome. Second of all, you have an incredibly interesting background. Okay. We, we see that you were a competitive golfer, a high school <laughs> teacher, a sketch and improv comedian, which having been a former high school teacher as well, the comedian aspect comes in, in, in the high school classroom for sure. Um, you also worked in radio and leading into today, you now are a podcast host. You have a massively successful blog. You're now writing a book, which we cannot wait to read. You own a farm, you're a wife and a mom, (laughs) and you do public speaking. I'm sure I left something off the the list there. There is a whole lot to pull apart here, um, about who you are and what drives you and what motivates you as a person. So we always love to start at the beginning. We think it sheds a lot on who, who our guests are. So set the stage for us. What was your upbringing like? What were you like as a child? So uh, I, 
my parents always referred to me as very self-reliant uh, as a, like a toddler. Um, and there's this kind of famous story that's told in my family of I was about three years old and I was sitting in the kitchen and, um, you know, I was born in, uh, 85. And so, you know, it was a very, eighties kitchen. I was sitting in this kitchen. I'm kind of like looking around and my parents were like, what, what, what's, what's going on? Like, why are you looking around? Cause I was just in this daze. And I said, I'm trying to figure out where the cameras are. And I thought legitimately that like my life was on film, like a Truman show type deal, but before the Truman show even existed. And it was just, uh, it's kind of this, like, in like this, just a glimpse into what was happening in my brain. There was just a lot of things. Um, so I always, obviously I loved performing. That was just something I, I mean, I sang, um, I, uh, from a very early time I did theater as a child, musical theater in high school and actually went to college and started out as a musical theater major before I changed over to creative writing. And, um, but from a very, very early age, I wanted to be on Saturday night live. Like that was my dad would watch Saturday night live with me. And this was, you know, during the era of Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers and, um, just oh, some of the <laughs> SNL greats where, you know, that I, and my, I would watch old episodes of SNL with Jane Curtin and Gilda Radner. And I just, that was what I wanted to, I was like, I want to do that. I, I want to be, I want to act silly and like make people laugh. So I would put on, you know, sketches and skits for my family constantly, which I like, <laughs> I just think back and I go, my sweet family put up with me performing these silly things all the time. Um, but you know, I just, I grew up the pair, you know, the daughter of, uh, two just incredible parents, but just had a huge sense of humor, huge personalities. And they were both Irish Catholic, one of five. So there's just no shortage of loudness and laughter in our home. And, you know, my, my parents had a wide circle of friends. So I was constantly surrounded by other adults who were loud and boisterous. And, um, but the funny thing is, is like, I'm actually very introverted. I just have a big personality, but people never realize that people always think like, and assume that I'm very extroverted. Um, and it's like, no, no, no. Like, you have to understand how introversion works. <laughs> it's like, just because I have a big personality and I can talk to anybody doesn't mean I'm actually extroverted. <laughs> so it's this weird, crazy dynamic that I'm kind of, that I have found myself in. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was just kind of, you know, my personality growing up. And, um, I mean, so there's a, a whole lot more to that, but, um, where the golf comes in. So my dad was, uh, he had always played golf. He, I mean, my dad was born in the forties and so he had grown up and just like loved golf. He, he taught high school for a couple of years. He was a high school golf coach and then kind of life happened and he had to do the thing that he didn't want to do. And that was get a real job, things like that, you know? And when I was in, I think fifth or sixth grade, my mom encouraged my dad, you know, do what you've always wanted to do and go get your um, certification. And so my dad became a teaching pro. Um, but from the time I was like, could walk, my dad handed me a set of sawed off clubs. And, um, and so I would go golfing with my dad all the time. And I started playing in like kind of mini tournaments when I was six, seven, um, and started playing pretty competitively around eight, and nine, um, all the way through middle school and into, um, high school. And then I kind of gave it up when I went to college, much to my dad's chagrin. And, uh, now I just play for fun if I can. And it's a fun, like party trick. Uh, cause most women don't like, it's just, let's be honest. Like it's mostly men that know how to play. So it's really fun. Like if we go, um, like for my wedding anniversary, my husband took me to drive shack, which is like, kind of like top golf, you know, like one of those big driving range places. And, um, everybody, when we were there was like assuming that my husband was the golfer and I'm not, and meanwhile, like I'm walking in with my set of clubs and I just absolutely destroyed him on every is, single game. Is he like, any good? No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. My, now this is the one thing though, because my husband is one of those people, like I, I love him so much. And, but I also hate him because he's good at everything. And it's oh, really annoying. That. He's so smart. He's good with math, like numbers. He's good. He's a great writer. 
He can play like 15 different instruments. Like, it's just, it's annoying. Like, I'm just like, you're good at everything. Let me have this one thing. So my this one is, mine. <laughs> is that I can beat him at golf. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's kind of the, the, the foundation for, uh, for where I am now. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot that happened in between, but of course, and go, go get the book. And I'm sure we'll, we'll hear be, a whole bunch more, a lot of more of these. In there. If you're like, wow, yeah. this sounds like a lot. It's like, that's why I'm writing a book. <laughs> There's, a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Molly, were there any specific events in your life that you would say set you on your current path? Yeah, absolutely. There's a few different things. I mean, one of the foundational pieces of my life, and this is actually one of the things I'm, I'm talking a lot about in my book is, uh, is my mom. And so my mom was a really, uh, unique individual. Um, her name was Linda Vandervander Buckley, and she, uh, served as an army nurse in the Vietnam war. And when she came home from Vietnam, I mean, obviously women serving in Vietnam was pretty rare as it was. Um, but when she came home from Vietnam, she suffered, uh, severely from PTSD, um, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, because the reality is, is in 1970, we did a really poor job as a country in supporting our veterans. Um, especially, uh, after an extremely unpopular war, like the Vietnam war. And so one of the ways that she healed or was a part of her healing process, I should say she was never fully healed, uh, was she wrote a memoir. So I come by uh, the writing gene, honestly. Um, and her memoir was actually the first ever nonfiction account of war from the perspective of a woman. And it was called Home Before Morning. And it uh, came out in 1983. It was a you know bestseller. It uh, got the attention of a lot of people, but it also ruffled a lot of feathers because my mom wrote a very raw honest account of her experience in Vietnam. She did not sugarcoat a thing, um, which was extremely unpopular at the time. And, but she never wavered and she fought so hard for the rights of women veterans, um, of Vietnam veterans. She eventually became the director of the Vietnam veteran, um, women's project. And, um, she was at the groundbreaking of the wall of the women's memorial. Um, she testified before Congress. Like she was just this powerhouse of a woman that, you know, I got to watch fight for what was right. Um, and in 1994, she became uh, gravely ill with an extremely rare rare autoimmune disease um, that didn't even really have a name, kind of did, but there'd only been about four other people in the world that had ever been diagnosed with anything similar. And it was due to her exposure to Agent Orange while she was in Vietnam. At that time, and up until the day she uh, ultimately passed away from the disease in 2002, the VA still did not recognize Agent Orange as a cause of health issues outside of cancer. They had only recognized a few cancers that Agent Orange was causing. Um, but here we were, you know, 20 plus years after Vietnam and 20, yeah, 24 years at the time post-Vietnam and the VA still was like, nope, nope. Agent Orange wasn't a, it wasn't a thing that's causing health issues. Now, obviously we know, in fact, uh, just a few days ago was Agent Orange Awareness Day. There's an entire day toward, towards it now because of the amount of health issues that our veterans um, are still facing, um, the ones that are still alive. And so all of that, uh, just when your life becomes so massively altered because of a series of events like this, it affects everything else, <laughs> everything else. And so, I mean, she died when I was a senior in high school and, um, in November of my senior year. And, you know, I'm assuming at some point you guys were seniors in high school. And that's a very, like, it's a really difficult time just in your life in general. And then to have, you know, to lose a parent, um, during that time and, uh, just kind of the aftermath of all of that. And that whole season of life is affected every single thing about who I am today. Um, because I live every day 
um, with the, the thought in the back of my mind that I, I pray that I live a life as half as impactful as my mom. Um, and one of the things that just the legacy that she has left behind, I mean, I still, to this day, probably five or six times a week, get random emails from people who say, Hey, I just finished your mom's book. And I just thought it was amazing. And I was Googling her to find out more about her and came across you. And, um, you know, that her, her life is still, you know, almost 20 years after her passing, still having such an impact. I mean, I get, um, just the other day, the Vietnam veterans Memorial foundation did like a whole like post and an article on her. Um, and I mean, again, she's been dead for almost 20 years and her life is still impacting people because of, of, of how, um, the integrity that she had, the diligence that she had to fight for what she knew was right. And, um, and so I, I really think about that in everything that I do and, um, so, yeah, so I would say that that's sort of the, the, the catalyst for, I can, I can tie almost everything in my life currently back to something that my mom inspired me uh, to do. I don't know about you, but I find it can be so hard to move from thought to action. Yes, me too. Even when I clearly understand concepts and know what it is I need to do, I find it can still be difficult to recognize the necessity of consistent daily application. We often hear from fellow parents statements such as, I don't have enough time, or I can't seem to focus on more than one area at a time. While it may be challenging, when you have a clear system, integrating growth can become much easier. Dr. Sharice Johnson has been a her expert for the past two years and is a licensed mental health counselor that we have come to respect immensely. She created the five on five system of success to help streamline the growth process into a manageable flow of daily habits. Mindset Matters is a guided journal designed to enhance your personal development and help you cultivate the growth you desire. In as little as 25 minutes a day, you can increase your awareness, be mindful of your choices, and create neural pathways that will expand your resilience and potential. Each journal will guide you through eight weeks of focus effort. It also includes a space for daily reflection, prescriptions for growth, and weekly words of encouragement, which is something I have personally loved reading through each week. If you've been looking for a simple yet effective way to stay focused on your goals, this is for you. You can find the link for the Mindset Matters Journal in today's show notes. She sounds like a force to be reckoned with. She's oh, yeah. clearly an inspiring woman. You know, you mentioned senior year, and I can only imagine how that loss, experiencing that loss at that time in your life, shaped you as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I am going to go check out that book now. I yeah. am very excited to read that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So current day, Molly, we know that people are so much more than the external labels and roles that they have. We'd love to understand who you are in your own words as a person now. Um, would you describe yourself as an adult and how that version of you has changed over the years? And mm. also, I guess, how have you changed since having kiddos? Oof, man, that is a loaded question. I, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting because I have changed drastically. Um, the person I am now is a very different person than I was at third, you know, 23, um, 24, the, the inspiration for, uh, my blog title is still being Molly. And so people always worry about like, Oh, is that a play on your last name? Molly still, but uh, yes, but also the person that I was in my late teens, early twenties was a very lost individual. I really was sort of uh, searching for identity in anything and everything. And I was just meandering about life, um, lost, but on the outside, I looked fantastic. I looked great. I was on stage making people laugh. I was doing improv and sketch comedy, you know, four five, six, seven nights a week. I was traveling the country performing in New York and LA and Portland. And it was just like, great. It was awesome. And I was living the dream. Um, and then inside I was crumbling. I was, uh, I was a mess. 
And I just made a, a series of choices that were just poor choices. I'd gotten myself in a heap of a financial mess. Um, I was depressed. Um, I, I was suicidal. Um, I was really struggling and I, um, I hit rock bottom multiple times. I remember there was a couple of times where I thought like, this is rock bottom, right? This is rock. Nope. There's a place lower, by the way. I just want to throw that out there is sometimes people are like, oh, that person's probably hit rock bottom. And I'm like, trust me when I say that there is a place lower. It's not great, but it does exist. Um, and so that that person versus the person that I am now are almost unrecognizable. However, I'm still me. Like I'm still I'm still Molly. I'm still the person who is going to be a little bit loud and boisterous. <laughs> I'm still the person that's going to try to make you laugh. I'm still the person that's going to make weird, funny voices or jokes. Like, um, that's just who I am. And that's like embedded in my personality. And so I tried, I've tried to kind of help people understand the difference between the choices that you make and the life that you're living versus who God created you to be. And who God created you to be is always there. It's always been there. Like my personality and who God created me to be has been there from the time I was sitting at three years old in a kitchen going, where are the cameras um, versus who I am now. But the choices I made along the way and the person and the identity that I found myself searching for are two very different things, but our culture and our society and our world are telling us and our kids. And I have really strong feelings about this, about where to find their identity and how to search for your identity and, and to live your truth and to find your true self and to just, you do, you do you boo boo. And I, I, I really struggle with that because I, I did that. And, and it put me in a really dark, really bad place is when you are constantly searching for outside validation, outside identity, outside this and the world and the culture and this and this and this, and to live quote unquote, like your truth and all that kind of stuff. When, um, you know, if you're struggling with self-esteem, how is your, how is yourself going to be both the problem and the solution? Like, how are you going to find healing for yourself when you're struggling with self-esteem? Like, I don't understand how both the problem and the solution can be in the one, in the same place. They just, anyway, I have really strong feelings about it, but <laughs> the reality is, is that I spent a long time letting the culture and identity and, and my search for that be outside of myself instead of searching for my identity in who God made me to be. And, and who God has called me to be. And when I kind of surrendered my life to, okay, Lord, <laughs> I say this as somebody who did not grow up in any sort of like religion or faith or background or anything like that, not nothing. And so for me, it just, it, it became this moment of, I've tried everything else. <laughs> I've tried everything else. I've tried, I've tried the self-care. I've tried the like, <laughs> The, the, just you'd I'll name it. I probably tried it and it just got me in a deeper, deeper, deeper hole. Um, but it wasn't until I, I had this moment of kind of like stopping the white knuckling and the control that I was trying to have in every aspect of my life and kind of released that, um, and, and sought my identity and who God created me to be that I really, truly felt free. Um, so that's what I would say is who I am now is I'm the same person I was before I just find my identity and who I was created to be and in, in, in a very different place. Um, and that has, you know, revealed who I am as a mother and as a wife and as a friend. And, um, and that, and that's just my goal every single day is to encourage my children to, you know, to not squash their big personalities or their dreams or anything like that, but to just, teach them how to ask themselves what had got, like, how did God make you unique? Um, and so like I, my daughter, I always talk about the fact that she is like in so many ways, like a carbon copy of me, but also a carbon copy of my husband. And she's so like 
artsy. She loves creative. And she's just like, her room is just this whole world of her creativity. But I tell her all the time, I'm like, you, God gave you that desire. God gave you those gifts. Um, your brother does not have that. <laughs> he has very different gifts. And we just try to like, just be you. And I, and, you know, and especially, you know, she's going into third grade and, you know, I, I talk with her a lot about, it's not about peer, like, cause yes, peer pressure is a whole thing, but I just feel like, just be you. Don't try to do what your friends are doing. Don't try to you know, emulate what they're doing, figure out what is it, what is it that you enjoy? What makes you unique? What are you, your unique skills and gifts really am very passionate about when we, once we identify, what is it that, that we were created to do, then how can we then elevate and use those gifts to serve other people? Um, because that's what I believe that they're there for. And so, I mean, even something as simple as like my, my daughter has started this card ministry in our church because she loves to make cards and do art and stuff. And so when somebody's sick or having a baby or a birthday, you know, she makes a card for them and that's her way of using the, the unique gift that she has to serve somebody else. And, um, you know, it's, I mean, how many people love getting a card, like a sweet little handmade card from an eight, nine-year-old, like it's, ador it's adorable. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I try to emulate is show how I use my gifts to serve other people. And, and that's something that we try to, um, do as a family and, um, something that I've really implemented with my kids. And so I, that's a really long answer. <laughs> I hope that that somewhat answers your question. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was amazing. I'm, I see myself in so much of what you said, just so much. I do have one follow-up question for you. Yeah. How did you stop white knuckling it? How did you finally mm -hmm. just, what did you do to just release? Because sometimes I'm like, speak louder, speak louder. God, like help me here. Help me know. Mm. Oh. Any, any advice? Wow. Yes. And I will say that this is a process. Um, and is this, I will preface also this, with this is the process and that this is, there is not a quick, easy button for this. Like Damn. The, staples, the staples, easy button. Don't you wish that there just was oh, <clears throat> always for me, what it was, was a mindset shift, but I had to hit rock bottom bottom, bottom to get there. Um, I'm not saying that everybody has to hit rock bottom in order to get that. And for me, and there's a, a whole lot more to this, but one of the areas in which I really white knuckled my life was in my finances. And that was partially because of the financial mess that I had gotten myself into. Um, and there's a much longer story to this that if you want, really want to hear all of the nitty gritty, very ugly details, you can read it in my book. Um, this is, it's not even coming out for like two years. And I'm like, just keep an hang eye tight. out. Yeah. Hang just tight. Hang tight. Um, so whatever it is in your life that you find yourself struggling to let go of or to control, um, whether it is parenting, whether it is your, your image, like your self image or, um, how other people see you, um, your finances, your career, um, whatever it is, like there's something in your life that could be, have it, have a, like a stronghold over you where you just feel like you have to be in control of it at all times. Um, when God did not give you that to do, um, he did not create you for that. For me, it was a moment in which I had realized that I had exhausted every other possible option or thing in my life, um, to try and quote unquote, like fix the problem that I was in. And so again, I don't know what that looks like for you or for the people listening. Like if there's that thing in your life that is just, it's just, it's weighing over you. There's a, there's a, it has a stronghold on you. And you again, find yourself that like that phrase white knuckling, you're just gripping it. You're almost have the nail marks in your hands because you're gripping it so tightly, whatever that thing is, you have to realize and come to terms with in your mind. And sometimes it's a, it's a matter of saying it out loud where you like, I have tried everything and nothing is working. And so at some point you have to, and some, for me, 
it was actually having a nervous breakdown on a sidewalk outside of the radio station where I worked and sobbing. <laughs> it was not pretty. And I literally like screamed up to heaven and said, all right, Lord, like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I've tried everything and I'm going to try it your way. And, and it was in that moment that I had this mindset shift of, I am no longer in control of this. And so then when I, once I made that initial mindset shift of, I literally cannot control the situation that I'm in. So what can I control? And by what can I control? What is within my power? Um, and I actually really love, and I highly recommend my friend's book. Actually, um, it comes out tomorrow. Um, and by the time this airs, it'll already be out, but it's called The Cost of Control. You should read it. Ooh. It's by uh, Sharon Hottie Miller. And she lives uh, in Durham. This has articulated a lot of the things that I did back in 2010, if that makes sense. Um, is this moment of, because at the time it was, okay, what can I control? When really the question I was asking myself is what do I have agency over? What do I, you know, um, if we look all the way back and again, I'm taking this little piece from Sharon's book actually, but again, this is kind of what I did at the time. I just didn't have the words for it. I feel like the way that Sharon articulates it much better than I do is if we go all the way back to the garden of Eden, when, when God puts Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, one of the first things that he gives them is agency over naming and ordering and Adam's naming the animals. And he's like naming the things in there and he's putting things in order. God was in control, but they had agency and, um, and they, they had the ability to order and name things. Um, and so there's a difference between having agency and having control. Um, whereas control is what we're actually not created to do. <laughs> and we try, but it's actually really unhealthy. Um, and so at the time I was, I was saying, okay, I have no control over this situation. So what can I control when really what I was asking myself is what do I have agency over? So what I had agency over was, okay, I can be a, a good steward of what I've been given at this time. And so I can create a monthly budget and I can start, uh, one of the ways that for me releasing the white knuckling was giving financially was giving money away. Even when financially, it did not make sense for me. I did not have enough money to eat. <laughs> I did not have enough money for groceries, but because money for me held such a stronghold over me, fine, over my mental state, I had to release it by giving it away. Even when it didn't make sense. But from that point, what it did was it taught me money's not mine. The money is not mine. I am just, it is mine to steward over. Um, and so whatever that thing is, whether it's your body, whether it's your marriage or your children, you can't control your kids. You can't, um, you know, you can't just dictate everything that, that you can try, but it's not going to do, it's not going to work. So whatever the thing is in your life that you just feel like you're white knuckling, figure out, okay. I can't control this, but I, I do have agency over it or what can what is within my power to, and that's almost always your behavior, your reactions to things, your choices, your words, um, your day-to-day -day decisions. Um, and so, I, I mean, like I said, Aaron, Sharon really articulates, um, much better than I do. Um, but this is, I mean, this is what I did 12 years ago, whereas this book comes out tomorrow, but I was, that's why I was like, I love you for writing this because I just feel like it was so, it's so helpful and clarifying for a lot of us because we all struggle with this. So, um, like I said, it's a process, but over time, uh, you know, almost waterfalled, that's not even the word, um, into every other area of my life when it started with money for me, but then it, it has just trickled into other areas of my life that I, I realized that I don't have control over that. Um, God did not create me to have control over that is Jesus came to set me free. <laughs> like he didn't come and die and raise again, just so I could sit here and like, be like, <laughs> that's not why he came. And so the more that I've gotten to know him and the more that I've grown in my own faith and in my marriage and in my family, um, that has been by far the most, um, that has set me free from so many things. I just, yeah. Anyway. 
Oh, I am thank you. so sorry that I keep going on. <laughs> no, I love it. it. It's extremely powerful and it just holds so much meaning. I, I had tear prickles in my eyes. <laughs> through, so <laughs> thank you. Yes. I, there is so much that I try to control. And I also love it when people are able to take something that you're experiencing and put it into words in a way that you didn't know how to do. Right. It, it, it just, that also is freeing to be like, yeah. that's exactly right. That's, yeah. that's what I've been trying to understand about my life and myself. And it's hard anyway. because we live in this, in this culture and in this society that wants the easy button. They want the quick fix. That's literally what companies are created for. And they market the quick fix. I mean, you can look, you can turn on the, you know, the news and every commercial is like, take this pill to alleviate this and do this diet plan to lose these, this weight and do this to get out of debt or do this. I mean, it's like everything is marketed as a quick fix when that is just not the reality. Um, you know, it does, if you get in debt, you can get out of debt, but it just depends on how much diligence and uh, discipline you're willing to put in. But we just, we don't like to work for it. And who I could, again, I can go on a whole nother soapbox about that is just, um, you know, I, it took me a little over a year to get into a, a lot of debt and it took me three and a half years to get out of it. Um, so it sucked. <laughs> it really did. Um, but then on the other side, I learned so much more about hard work and, uh, diligence and, you know, really being focused on a goal, um, that that's why I think in a lot of ways, I'm really terrified to write this book, but I also know I can do it. I know it's not going to be easy. I know like part of me wants to just be like, Oh, I can just sit down. I can just write the book. and It'll be easy. Right. Like, no, it's going to be really freaking hard. Like I'm going to have to be really diligent about waking up before my kids get up in the morning and having some quiet writing time. Really, really key that we have that, we have that perspective that it's not going to be easy, but it can be done. We're going to need to have you back because there is so <laughs> much to talk about and dissect. Anytime, anytime. You just, you, you just holla. Let me know. <laughs> holla. Holla. Based on all that we've discussed. You have worn over the years, many, many hats. Your website is, is similar to that. It's got a variety of topics, everything from ethical style, clean beauty, parenting, funny stories, and posts about serving in your community. On the, the website, you also state that your mission is, quote, ethical fashion and lifestyle blog that exists to inspire women like you to walk joyfully and confidently in purpose and to know that you were created with a purpose for a purpose. Wow. Will you talk about your mission more? What drove you to start your podcast, your blog and your website? I can only imagine yeah. based on what we've already discussed. I but. know, I know. Well, the let's just, I'll do the, uh, the fast forward version. So I started my blog in college um, just as a, I was a creative writing major and I started it as a way to just kind of get some of my comedy writing on screen, so to speak. Um, and eventually it just kind of evolved as life does over time and became more of a lifestyle blog. Um, my connection, people always ask, like, what's your connection to ethical fashion? So the answer, the quick answer to that is um, in 2010, 2011, I got heavily involved with an anti-human trafficking organization here in the area. And um, that became an issue that I really um, felt very strongly about and have done a lot of advocacy work for, uh, you know, both here in the community, um, in addition to uh, just some global anti-human trafficking work. And, um, you know, it's an issue that feels very big. It feels very overwhelming. And, you know, again, in that minute of like, okay, well, I can't control the massive global human or human trafficking industry. I can't control that. There's nothing I can do. So what do I have agency over? And it's, uh, or what do I have control over? And it's the choices that I make in my purchasing power. And so the more I began to learn about the impact that our everyday purchases 
have on the human trafficking industry is massive. It's, I literally talk about it on my podcast all the time. Um, I've talked about it ad nauseum at different organizations and podcasts and blogs. And um, every single purchase we make is almost always tied somehow, some way to somebody being enslaved today. When I began to really unpack that, I began to think, okay, well, how can I vote with my dollars? Because that's within my control and purchase from companies that I know are not connected to the human trafficking industry in some way, shape or form. Do I get it perfect all the time? Absolutely not. It's impossible. It is genuinely impossible um, because it's tied to literally everything you buy um, in some category, but I can make better choices and I can support companies in more categories than not um, that, that are, are not tied to that. And so that's, that's why I became so passionate about that little area in particular, because I think it's something that we can all say, oh, well, yeah, well I shop for clothing. So instead of buying your clothes from forever 21 or Zara or H and M that are, you know, harmful and are tied to human trafficking and, 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 you know, environmental issues and all those kinds of things. Instead of that, I can purchase clothing from Sago Designs or uh, Elegantees or some of these amazing ethical fashion brands that are not and, and often are employing women who have been rescued out of human trafficking. So how can I be a part of the solution rather than the problem? Um, and then, you know, with our farm, like that's one of the reasons we, I mean, there's a lot of a host of reasons why we started a farm, but um, there's a, you know, a ton of issues in the food industry. And so especially COVID revealed our reliance on, you know, uh, you know, when grocery stores were empty and all these kinds of things. And my family and I were just like, well, what, what can, what's within our control, what's within our agency that we can do. And so we moved to our farm. And so we raise, uh, our own meat and we, we eat and we raise and eat our own chickens and turkeys. And, um, we're adding pigs next year. I don't think we'll ever do beef cattle. It's a lot. It's a lot. Beef cattle are big. Um, but there's a cattle farm right down the road who we, we buy from. So we're buying from another local farmer, you know, within a few miles of us. Um, we know how those animals were raised. We know that they were well cared for. Um, we know their, their, butchering process. Same with our food is, you know, we, we grow a lot of our own food. We got our own bees. So we have our own honey. So things like that, that it's like with, this is what we have agency over. And so we're able to get, you know, back to a more self-sustaining way of life. And um, it's a process. It will be a process for the next five to 10 years. My goal with my content is, you know, whether it's through my podcast or through my blog, or when I, you know, speak to an organization or a church, I want to encourage women and men to know that they were created with a purpose on purpose for a purpose. And that sounds really like fluffy, but when you actually get to the the deeper meaning of it, it's really, really impactful is to know that like you, Chrissy, you, Cindy, like were created specifically to live in this time with this skill set, with your talents and with your abilities in your family. And like all of it was on purpose. None of it was an accident. And to know that and to be aware of, oh my gosh, every single thing about me was purposeful. <laughs> and believe in my heart of hearts, because I've experienced it in ways that are undeniable is that there is a God in heaven who created you and knit you in your mother's womb in the most impactful and powerful, purposeful way and created you to serve other people with your unique gifts and talents. And so whatever that looks like, you know, and I always tell my husband, I'm like, his gifts and talents are many, but like spreadsheets, he loves spreadsheets and he can serve people with his (laughs) spreadsheet. Okay. I'm serious. I have another friend who, um, you know, is really good at party planning. I am not good at party planning. My, that is where my soul kind of goes to die a little bit. I'm a great party attender. I am not a great party planner. And I was telling, I was like, that is a, like a spiritual gift that the, that God gave you is like party planning. (laughs) I was like, I realize that sounds like silly, but no, if there's somebody who's like really great party planner, like you go to a really great party that somebody has planned. I 
I'm just saying, like, think about if you're a bride on a wedding day, like an event planner, that is a spiritual gift, okay? Um, to, to deal with the in-laws and, the, you know, all the things. Whether you're a photographer or whether you're a gardener or you are great with children, um, you know, I just, I, I really believe we all have these really unique gifts and we were created with those gifts on purpose and we're t- to use those gifts to impact the world. And so, um, you know, my podcast, I get to sit down with all kinds of people and the goal is each and every week to just sit there and say, is to ultimately say like, okay, well, what are the gifts that you were given and how are you using those? How are you stewarding those gifts to serve, to serve the world? I mean, I've interviewed an optometrist who is using his gift of, of, you know, checking people's eyes, but he's going to some of the deepest, most remote parts of the world where people don't have access to an eye doctor and getting people glasses and eye surgery and allowing them to see again when they might not have ever been able to do that. Um, you know, authors, speakers, you know, creatives, um, painters. I, I, uh, interviewed this woman, um, a few weeks ago, who's just uh, unbelievable, but she woke up at the age of 30. She'd had her third pregnancy, went into a coma after her pregnancy in the hospital and woke up a week later and did not remember the previous 13 years of her life. Did not remember her children, did not remember her husband, um, 13 years, her entire memory gone. It never came back. It never came back. She had viral, no bacterial meningitis, um, that basically got into her brain and caused her to lose a a significant portion of her memory. But here she is today. She's in her sixties now and she's telling her story and she's, um, impacting others through art. And she's just this incredible artist. And I just was like, you are such a unique individual in that you lost 13 years of your life, yet you are using that gift of losing 13 years of your life and your memories to impact thousands of people and to, uh, you know, to use your art as a, as a form of, um, of service to others. And so I, whatever that gift is that you have within you, you know what it is. It might be spreadsheets. <laughs> it might be spreadsheets. Um, is you, how can you use that gift, uh, to, to impact the world around you? Wow. I, how do you follow that up with, <laughs> like stumped. I'm like, that's just so rambling today. You guys got me on a Monday morning. Woo. It's great. It's, it's so great. I mean, you have the questions that I wanted to ask you, you answer, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's wonderful. And we are definitely going to need to have you back because we have a lot more that we want to ask you mainly about your fashion and shopping and your farm and just expectations of motherhood. We haven't even dived (laughs) into motherhood yet so much. So we would love to, to invite you back. That would be awesome. I would love it. All right, Molly. Um, just to wrap us up, we love to ask all of our guests and I mean, you kind of finished on a high note there, so I don't know what you'll follow up with. So I'm excited. I'm on the edge of my seat to hear. What message do you think every mom should hear? Oh, your kids are your kids for a reason. You were uniquely chosen kind of to follow up on what I said earlier is you were uniquely chosen to be their parent. And so there's not another mom or parent, um, you know, dad too. dad's great. We're not discounting dad. I'm just saying, but you as a mother, there is not a different mother that was better suited to be your child's mother than you. And I know that you are going to experience mom guilt because I do and feel like a failure as a mom because I do. And I know you're probably going to yell at your kids sometimes and then immediately feel bad about it because I do, (laughs) but know that that child that you have been entrusted to steward over their lives while you can was uniquely chosen to be yours. And so you are doing a great job. You are also going to screw up, (laughs) but in humility, you teach your kids more about what it looks like to be a human being when, when you do screw up to admit it 
and to apologize and to repent and to ask for forgiveness. Um, there are some days where I have to apologize and ask for forgiveness many times in the day. Okay. I'm just going to be honest that there are some mama's having a bad day today. kids. Mama's having a mama's having a day. And that day for me was two days ago. Okay. And I might've yelled at my children like 15 times in like an hour. And it just was, there was a lot of whining happening, which I know. And this, well, I don't handle whining. Well, I can't, I just cannot with the whining. And I got to a point where I just was like, I am going to walk outside and I need you to not follow me because I cannot, I can no longer process your whining because to me, it is now creating, um, a powder keg within my soul and I might explode. And so I just told that I literally said that to my children. I said, I love you very much. And I'm going to walk away right now. Um, (laughs) because what comes out of my mouth next is probably going to be something I'm going to regret. And so I think if we just have those honest conversations with our kids, we, and then we take a moment to just go cool down or whatever and come back and say, I'm really sorry. I should have handled that differently. Um, and then to the have conversation, like if they're misbehaving, like that's also a conversation that needs to be had, but it can be, it can be had in love. It can be had in, in you know, with grace and mercy and, and it can be handled differently. So, um, but just to know that you're not, you're not, not supposed to be a mom. You're not, not supposed to be that person, that, that child's mom, you are their mom and you were uniquely created to be their mom. And that's, that is the the highest, best, one of the greatest callings of your life. Um, and to just know that you can often teach your kids more when you screw up than when you get things right. (laughs) So we got to give her the clap. (laughs) Oh, Molly, you finished strong. Well, thank you. Thank we you had no doubt. Me. I'm we sorry no if doubt. I just like went off on uh, many soapboxes today. <laughs> you guys really got no, every, every soapbox was so good. I There were so many good takeaways. I don't know how many times I had to keep myself from starting to cry. So it's a very powerful episode. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. And I just, I, you guys are so good at what you do. Oh, thank you. What a jam-packed and powerful conversation. Here are our top three takeaways from today's discussion with Molly. One, what you feel you must control is ultimately what you must let go. Ask yourself, what do you have agency over? I absolutely love this part of our conversation today. I've shared this before, but what I consider to be my most spiritual moment happened when I was walking the Camino de Santiago in Northern Spain several years ago. I was walking alone through the Meseta, which is basically mile after mile of wheat fields. When I had the simplest and yet most profound thought come to me, it was so crystal clear and powerful. It literally stopped me in my tracks. It was accept what is. I was busy trying to figure out how to control for all these factors that I just didn't have any business trying to control. They weren't in my power. I needed to accept what is and focus on what I do personally have control over, or as Molly says, what I have agency over. It's amazing what a strong mindset shift it can be when you truly let go of the things that are not within your control and focus on what you do have the power to change. And more often than not, that will be yourself. You cannot control other people. You can't change their behavior, what they think, how they act, the things they say, what they believe. You can only change your own behavior in relation to them. What you think, what you say, how you behave, how you spend your time, who you let into your space. These are all things you do have agency over. Two, we have immense purchasing power. The decisions we make in the store can have huge impacts on the human trafficking industry. The food sources we support can have far-reaching effects on the sustainability of our food ecosystems and our larger societal systems. I really appreciate Molly's approach to shifting our purchasing decisions. She says getting it perfect and right all the time isn't the goal. It's not even possible. Rather, we can start paying attention, learning more, and making smarter decisions whenever we can. 
learning which stores are notoriously responsible for unethical and immoral behaviors and which ones are using their platform and ultimately your money to support just causes. Because at the end of the day, every time we spend our hard-earned dollars somewhere, we are sending a message to those business owners. It does matter where we spend our money. We can make a difference because as each one of us uses our purchasing power to show the powers that be that we do not stand by their methods, that creates a ripple that can eventually become a wave and ultimately affect their bottom line. And let's be honest, we all know money can speak volumes. Three, Molly's mission is so incredibly powerful. She says, everything about you is purposeful. You have unique gifts. You must use them to impact the world. Whether it's party planning, spreadsheets, or curing cancer, your unique gifts matter. They impact the world in a way many of us can't even begin to fathom. I was also deeply moved by Molly's message about you as your child's parent. She said, you were uniquely chosen to be your child's parent. Stop and sit with that for a moment. Mothers in particular get so wrapped up in feelings of guilt, of not being or doing enough. Our deepest desire is to protect our children, to keep them safe and see them thrive in this great big scary world we live in. Yet it is so easy to get lost in those feelings of inadequacy, of not knowing what you're doing, of not believing you know what is best for your child. When we pause and allow ourselves to believe that we were uniquely chosen to be our child's parent, that we were chosen to shape and mold and grow with our child to help them become the adult they were uniquely destined to become, it can lend a whole new feeling of empowerment in your role as a mother. And that's something every mom deserves. Here's to you, friend, and here's to health, empowerment, and respect for every mom. Hi, bye friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.